Good morning. Uh, did you get my letter? I sent a letter out. How many of you have already received it? Oh, quite a few of you. Um, how many of you have had a chance to read it? <laughs> well, I do have some news to report. So if you haven't received it yet or you haven't had a chance to read it yet, I'm going to give you the same message right now. This is called coverage. The news uh, that I want to give us doesn't really surprise us, even though it is unwelcome news. And the news is our beloved Kathleen Punt will retire from her position of 17 years as our director of children's ministry here at Grace at the end of this month on September 30. And it is unwelcome news because, obviously, Kathleen is so precious to us. I, I can remember where I was having my first conversation with her those many years ago as uh, we were seeking the Lord in prayer together as to whether it was his move for her uh, to join us in serving the Lord here. But amazingly, her zeal is undiminished at this time. She remains vital and vibrant, a force for children's ministry and the development and discipleship of little children for his church, for our children. Kathleen is not leaving us, nor withdrawing from the Lord's service or the support of our ministry here, she remains committed. The news is unwelcome when Kathleen is at the height of her powers and gifts in ministry. And so that makes it tough, all of that. But as I mentioned, it's news that doesn't surprise us because many of us know that Dell, Kathleen's husband, is suffering moderate Alzheimer's. And that's the reason Dell stepped away from managing our facilities a few years back, and that's the reason Kathleen is now stepping away from directing our children's ministry. Dell needs Kathleen full-time, and the Lord has necessitated that Kathleen enter and assume a new full-time ministry to Dell, a ministry of covenant that joined their hearts and hands in marriage 42 years ago. We knew this day was coming. Uh, Kathleen hoped that she would be able to finish out this year, 2017. The board and staff have known it was coming. We've been preparing for it for some months. We just hoped and prayed it wouldn't come yet. But yet, always seems to come. Not only have we prepared, Kathleen has prepared us. She's foreseen this necessity. She's discipled Brittany Cowmink to assume her responsibilities as our director of children's ministry. And Brittany is heaven sent. So be encouraged. I know it encourages Kathleen greatly because she loves what the Lord has called her to here. She loves your children. She loves you and uh, love serving in that capacity. So uh, we've prepared and the Lord has provided. 
We praise him. We can see his hand and how he's guiding us. Uh, one more bit of news, and it really is good news. On Celebration Sunday, just about a month away, October 1st, we'll have the added joy of not only celebrating God's richest blessings, his goodness, baptisms, the Lord's Supper, the right hand of fellowship, but we'll also celebrate Kathleen and the enduring influence that she's had on us here at Grace and our family. Please join us for worship, same hours, 9 or 10.30, or indulge yourself and uh, enjoy both. By the way, consider prayerfully helping in children's ministry. Nothing is more hateful to us, and I use that word because we don't hate, we love. But one thing that is hateful is having to close a class and sometimes we do because we don't have the adult help that we need. We're not asking you to do this for a year. Pick out an hour on given Sundays. Volunteer and invest in a child's life. We should not complain about the next generation when we have a chance to make a difference in their lives. And I can tell you I better not do this because then you'd take me up on it. But I would volunteer there and not speak to you about the Lord's Word because I would enjoy that that much. So let's get together and do this, okay, so that we can have the assurance that our children are getting the fullest opportunity available to them to hear the Lord and be touched by an adult. Adults, we really want two adults in every class hour at every grade level. And we want that so that we can care for them and give them that special interaction. It's not babysitting. It's ministry. That's not a euphemism. Okay, enough of that. I mean, you know what I mean. Um, we're in Ephesians, and I'm, uh, it's been a, a, a few weeks since we've been in Ephesians, but we're here today, so let's really enjoy it. We're in chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. Look carefully, then, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're all familiar with time, but I don't know that we think much about time. At Student Driven Sunday, Sunday before last, 
one of the high school students was sharing about, you know, and at this moment I don't remember whether it was a he or a she, but the student shared the impact of something that the speaker at, uh, at the, I guess, their evening, evening messages had said. Uh, the theme of Beach Camp was being rooted, you know, really rooted in God through Jesus Christ. And the speaker said, take time or make time. That's what the student shared. Take time, make time to give that to the Lord, to give him first place. That's what Paul is talking about here. When we read the words, make the most of the time, some of your translations say redeem the time. But we cannot actually make time. You cannot make time. I cannot make time. Because to make time, you would have to be able to create it. And you cannot create time. And if you were creating time, you would actually be creating something else that we call time. You would be creating life. Life is what we time. And time is just a regulation or measure of time a division of time is a division of life. An hour of time is an hour of your life. Time is your life. To take time or make time you have to regulate your life by measures of time. If you regulate your life, you are giving time to something. You are taking time that could be given to this or that or something else, but you're giving that time of your life in other words, you're giving yourself to something because you're saying that something is important to me, more important than the other possible things that I could be giving my life to. And that's why when you think about time and you talk about time or you read about time or study time, the questions start to emerge, not about time, but about how I should live my life. Or, what is the meaning of life? 
And what is the meaning of my life? Or you could put it this way, what is the meaning of my time? Benjamin Franklin, our founding father, in his almanac wrote, Do you love life? Then do not squander time, for that is the stuff life is made of. Or really, life, when we look at it analytically, is made of time. Standards of time come into view, as I said, when we imagine what is the meaning of life. How should I use my time? What's most important with my life? In America, I want you to imagine just for a moment how this works. I grew up with an expression, time is money. That really sunk into my soul. I found that lived out in the way my society worked, the way business works, the way we time our lives according to the clock. But more importantly, what it keeps saying without saying it is that money is the most important thing in your life. You should spend your life to get money. The highest value, the greatest purpose of your life, the meaning of life is the acquisition and getting of money. And we buy into that. I would encourage you, it's not the point of what I have to say this morning, but I hope you'll think about this. You need to evaluate and root out this idea that the most important thing in life is the acquisition of money, the getting of money, the having of money, the controlling of money. Because when we do, it affects the way we evaluate what's most important in life and what we give our lives to. David Geffen, does that name ring a bell? He's a business magnet. He's a music mogul. He's a film tycoon. He created Asylum Records in 1970, Geffen Records in 1980, DreamWorks in the 90s. He's worth $8 billion. Do you know how much a billion is? When I was a child, we couldn't afford Encyclopedia Britannica, so my parents got the Book of Knowledge. And I looked up a billion in the Book of Knowledge. It had something to do with a grade school assignment. And the Book of Knowledge said that if you take a billion one-dollar bills and lay them end to end, they will go around the equator three and a half times. He could wallpaper the world with $8 billion. And he said, 
Anybody who thinks money will make you happy hasn't got money. Because it's not having money that makes you happy. And people who have money have just the same kinds of worries and heartaches that you have. They are human just like you are, and each and every day they make decisions in their relationships and how they manage their lives that affect their life, affect their life in a way that is only skewed by money because often money makes you think that you're better than other people. It drains you of your humility and your dependence or even recognition of God. And in that state of mind and heart, you ruin your lives. Seneca said, you're wrong if you think that the rich suffer losses more cheerfully. That puts it pretty well. So in America, time is money. And a lot of people work themselves to death just to have more money. And then when they die, it becomes somebody else's who didn't work for it, and it spoils them. I didn't mean to say that, but just wanted to give you a little purview. In America, time is money. In Brazil, it's not not money. It's talking. I read a book by Robert Levine, who's a professor at Fresno, His book is called The Geography of Time. When he went to teach in Brazil, he tells humorous stories of the adjustment because he was a man that was very punctual. But there, they don't pay attention to the clock. He had a class from 10 to 12. The students wandered in an hour late, and then when the class was over, they stayed around and talked. What does Paul mean when he talks about time? It's not money, and it's not talking. It's about minding the presence of the Lord. And if I were to summarize these verses, 15 to 21, I would summarize the the thing, the take-home of what Paul's saying this way, turn time into an opportunity that wisely works the will of God. That's a mouthful, but it begins with minding the presence of God, realizing that we belong to Him and He belongs to us. In uh, verse 15, uh, 16, 17, and 18, Paul talks about the how, why, and way, but he begins this, and the emphasis is walk wisely. And I just wanted to quickly review, and that's why I put this uh, visual up for you. In verse 2, he says, walk in love. In some of your translations, the word walk is translated live because walking has to do with the way you live your life. It is a metaphor, but it's a very vivid one to actually think about walking. And walk in love, verse 2, as what? Beloved. So we walk in love, not our notion of love, but as one loved, we walk in the notion of his love who loved us. 
we love like he loves. And he goes on, Paul goes on, to clarify that when he talks to us about Jesus Christ who loved us sacrificially. And that sacrifice was sweet, precious unto the Lord. We think in terms of sacrifice as suffering, but it has a great value placed upon it. And we see that in Jesus, who is our model. So when it says, walk in love, that isn't the world's way, that's God's way, which has been revealed to us. And then, in verse 8, Paul goes on to talk about us being children of light, and we are told to walk as children of light. Walk in the light. Now, Paul says, walk but not as fools, but as wise. That's what unwise means. It means fools. Paul says, walk wisely. How, you ask? Why, you ask? And in what way or what means? He tells us, by redeeming the time, for the days are evil, by being filled with the Holy Spirit. So I want to quickly talk about the how, why, and the way. The method, the motive, and the means. The word redeeming means to buy up or buy back. Every time you spend a $1 paper bill, you are redeeming the value of that dollar. That piece of paper isn't worth a cent unless you redeem it. That is, you use it, and you use it fully or to the best of your ability. And so we shop for bargains, or we wait till Black Friday or whatever it is, because our dollar goes further. That's the notion of redeem in Ephesians chapter 5 and the way Paul uses it, and is the way it was used in his lifetime. The only time you can redeem is the present. That's very important for you to appreciate. You cannot redeem the past. You cannot redeem the future. If you could get that straight, it can change your life. Because so often we try to redeem the past or the future. Do you know how we try to redeem the past? By feeling guilty and mulling over and over and reciting what happened and wishing we could go back and change it in some way. And the same with the future. We become anxious about something that hasn't happened. We try to be prophets and foresee that future in detail, and we try to take and do things about it, and we can become anxious. All the time, we're living in the past or living in the future. We're not living in the present. In fact, our whole life is taken out. We're emotionally informed by something that is no longer there or something that has not yet happened. 
We're not emotionally influenced by what's really around us. We can ignore spouses. We can be at the office and ignore people or be on the playground or in the classroom or out on the job or on the ranch or wherever we may be, but we aren't there. We're in an artificial place, and it's influencing our countenance, our attitude, our emotions. But it's not just harmless. It's shaping us to live that way when God wants us to live another way. He wants us to live in the present. Do you know where God is? He is not in the past, and He's not in the future in terms of your ability to live your life. God is only accessible to you in the present. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can't go back into the past. You can see Him there, read about Him there, but you can't access His presence, His power, His will for your lives if you're not living in the present. And so it is if you go into the future. When you go into those places, If not to learn and instruct yourself, you're going into an unreal world. Now is the only time you can redeem. And it isn't what you get out of it. It's what you put into it that is the concern of redeeming the time. Because you have an influence to make. You have an impact to make. We are not to be recipients. We are to be catalysts in this world. We're to be influencers, influential. And why should we be influential? Because we have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling us. We have the truth that changes the world, occupying our hearts and minds. And what are we doing with it? just to assuage ourselves or make ourselves happy? We are here to make a difference for Christ's sake. He is our Lord. But what happens to all of this is when we climb on the throne of our lives and rule ourselves, and He is not. So that's the how to live in the moment, and to redeem that time. Why? What's the motive for doing this? The days are evil. Time is not evil. Lives are evil. See the connection? Do you know how you make the days evil? You live your life for selfishness. Every bad thing I've ever done that I ever regret you know what was the heart at, it, uh, at the heart of it? Selfishness. Me, my, and mine. Only Jesus Christ can break your bond and idolatry to yourself. But you can only actualize His Lordship in the moment, in the present. I'll show you how this works. I was here worshiping this morning. Pastors don't get a pass pass when it comes to worship. They should be the better worshipers. 
How do you worship? Well, when we're singing those songs, you actualize, you interior, interiorize. Is that a word? You, you make it real to you. You let those words speak your heart, right? You focus on what it's saying. But, of course, I'm also in, responsible for kind of what goes on in here, and so sometimes things distract me. But I have to discipline myself and say, I'm worshiping you, Lord. This isn't some business I'm running. You're present. I'm speaking these things to you. I'm expressing my heart to you. Could you imagine being in the presence of God and not minding him? I can't. The days become evil when we are self-centered and absorbed in our own selfishness. It's all about me. And if you take that to some kind of radical extreme, then all of a sudden you do the kinds of things that you see in this world that are clearly labeled evil. It's not the time that's evil. It's what we do with the time. And the present is filled for opportunity for evil or for good. Remember, Paul says, we're now children of light, not darkness. That's part of what he's talking about here in chapter 5. Before, he talked about the sons of disobedience who were being influenced and swayed by the evil prince of the power of the air of darkness. But now we have been redeemed, see? We've been bought back, and we are to be that light. Look at verse, uh, let me put my finger on it. Well, it's verse 9. Look at verse 9. The fruit of the light. What's the fruit of the light? If we are children of light, what is the fruit? I know that's kind of a mixed metaphor on Paul's part. The fruit, he tells us, good, right, and true. When we are living, walking in the light, what makes that light? Well, we have a title. We're called children. I know that. But practically, it's the Lord glowing in you and me. His truth on, his li- on our lips. And his, the truth of his life, his power, the things that he creates, created in us. We being extensions of him through his Holy Spirit. In other words, we're light. And what does that look like? Well, Paul says the fruit is good, right, and true. Not evil. Not darkness. Not ugliness. Not hatred. Not bitterness. Not meanness. Not taking advantage of others. Not, 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 not. Because it's love. 
It's God's love in all of its goodness. Love is not just poetry. Love is the kind of help that people are giving. That's God's kind of love. When people are out there in the hurricane zone with their boats or whatever means they have with the time on their hands looking for people in trouble to help them. That's love. Justice is love. Justice. God is the God of justice not of partiality. But what's foolish, see, that's wisdom. When we live like that, that's wisdom. It breaks wisdom down from this kind of cloudy word at the top of a mountain peak, and it brings it down to earth in terms that we can understand. But foolishness, what is foolishness? He says, don't be un wise, but be wise. What would be unwise? To live in any other time or place than the present. I mean, if if the present is about reading history, then read history well, you know what I mean? But the present is also always aware of the Lord. I notice this, for example, when the phone rings and I'm uninterrupted. See, there's that time is money thing. I've got my schedule, and I'm somebody, and so you fit into my schedule, see? And I'm, not, I'm bugged by you, and that happens to me from time to time, and I don't want that attitude. I don't like it in me when I feel like that because I am his servant, and I want to be on his schedule. I want to be open to what he brings into my life, because that interruption to me and my plans may be something that is his divine design because of his plans. And unless I'm synchronized with what he's doing, I'm going to miss that completely. Verses 19, the third thing is the means, and I've really been talking about that, be filled with the Spirit. That's the way to do this. Be filled with the Spirit. If you ask the Spirit to fill you, which means you are saying, you be Lord, and I'm going to try to understand this, negotiate this situation, treat this person or talk to this person in a way that manifests the love of Jesus Christ in practical terms. I'm going to be nice and not nasty, you know. I'm going to have your attitude, O Lord. I'm going to see this as an opportunity where I can dive into this thing and it's what I will do with it in your power, in your guidance, that will be catalytic in changing the whole thing. And God taught me a lesson last night. I I was not, I did not do this in a situation in my own life. And I felt so bad about it this morning, I apologized to Shelley. But you've got to practice this stuff. Look at me saying it once, a light might go on, but you're going to have to work on this. How do I get back into the moment? And how do I let God be God, be the Lord of my life? How do I serve Him at a time like this? Because that is what is being filled with the Spirit. And what is the fruit of the Spirit? Listen, love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
That's the work of the Lord. That's the work of His Spirit. But He only gets to do it when He's the Lord. And look at verses 19, 20, and 21. This is the product of the Spirit. And we think of, uh, you know, singing hymns and stuff. I know. I, I would probably feel a little corny if I did that all the time, but get the point that he's making. This is an example of the way we encourage others and give thanks always and think of others. That's 1920 and 21. So turn time into an opportunity to wisely work God's will. Ephesians 5.2 and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's always the starting point. That's, that always gets our attention. That always brings me to my knees. And that's what this cup and this bread represent.